Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast, where we are training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Take your Bible out and turn to Mark chapter 6. We're going to keep plowing through Mark. And um, wow, I, I just, I'm really, uh, I really enjoy Mark how things are laid out in Mark, how he addresses things, how he moves so quickly. There's so many things about um, what he, uh, how, how he reminds us, how he uses Old Testament prophecy. He echoes things, and today he does this a lot. He... Um, Echoes, um, there, there's echoes of stories um, from the Old Testament. There are things that link things together in this story, and there's a lot of contrasts. And uh, let me encourage you that you're not going to see these things if you don't read your Bible, okay? You're not going to know these things. You're not going to grasp these things. Um, these things won't kind of reveal themselves or be unearthed unless you spend time in the scriptures and all the scriptures, okay? And um, Mark ensures us that you're not going to get it actually if you don't. The way Jesus teaches in parables um, at first pass, if you don't spend time wrestling through them, they won't, uh, you won't grasp the truth that's being presented um, there's all kinds of things like that. And today, this story in particular, I think it, 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 gets, it gets a little controversial for us, um, so to speak. You know, a lot of times uh, people, I think because they don't read their Bible, they, they actually think, they believe that the church should not engage in politics. And that politics are, oh man, when we come to church, we can't talk about that stuff. That's reserved for other places. Uh, here, we need to focus on God's word and our mission and our mandate, and we need to set politics aside. And actually, that's, it's, it's actually kind of ridiculous, actually, when you really think about it. In particular, this story that we're going to go through today is absolutely political. It's absolutely political. The environment that Jesus was engaging in was completely political. The reason why he, uh, uh, there, there are two, uh, there, there's, a, there's one camp of people that are so entrenched is because of politics, not just church politics, uh, so to speak, but politics, the day, the environment of the day, um, was uh, uh, the, the ruling authorities were pretty hostile, right? Towards the Jewish community, towards the Hebrew, towards, um, you know, Rome was doing so many things that were oppressing God's people. So they wanted a ruler, they wanted Messiah to come in and and really bring maybe uh, war or the sword or just wipe this out because um, there were so many bad things going on. So, so some Christ followers say that Jesus, or, or um, 
uh, say that the church shouldn't get mixed up in politics. And I don't know how you can't. Now, I'm not saying that we create marches and, um, you know, we do, we do all kinds of protesting and things like that. But the biblical story of John the Baptist that we're going to walk through today should remind us that followers of Jesus, we, we do have a role to play in the public square. We have a role to play. So I think today, um, as we walk through this, we're going to discover what that role is, okay? And, um, and maybe you can find your place within, uh, within those things. So Mark chapter 6, we're going to start at verse 14. It says, now King Herod... Uh, um, heard this, all right? So he heard about Jesus, all right? For Jesus, Jesus's name had been, had become known. So it's, word's getting around about who he is and what he's doing. Some were saying John the baptizer had been raised from the dead. And because of this, miraculous powers are at work in him. Miraculous powers are at work in him. And others said he is Elijah, Others said he is a prophet like one of the prophets from the past. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. So he's talking about John the baptizer. For Herod himself had sent men, arrested John, and bound him in prison on account of Herodias, his, his brother Philip's wife. Because Herod had married her. For John had repeatedly told Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not because Herod stood in awe of John and protected him since he knew that John was a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard him, he was thoroughly baffled. And yet he liked to listen to John. But a suitable day came when Herod gave a banquet on his birthday for his court officials, military commanders, and leaders of Galilee. And when his daughter Herodias came in and danced. Don't get confused right here. He's married to Herodias. Herodias has a daughter. Okay, just forget that name and why it's there right now. But it's Herodias' daughter, all right, that danced. She pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, girl means like 12 years old, by the way, okay? Ask me for what you want and I will give it to you. He swore to her, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. So she went out and said to her mother, what should I ask for? And her mother said, the head of John the baptizer. So immediately she hurried back to the king and made her request. I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter immediately. And although it grieved the king deeply, he did not want to reject her request because of his oath and his guests. So the king sent an executioner at once to bring John's head. And he <clears throat> went and beheaded John in prison. He brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. And when John's disciples heard this, 
They came and they took his body and they placed it in a tomb. And then the apostles, they gathered around Jesus and told him everything that they had done and taught. So this is an unbelievable scene actually. A lot of people um, get a little confused with this. Jesus has made some definite enemies, all right? He's made enemies right and left in the region of Galilee. And he's made enemies and they oppose his vision of the kingdom of God. So Mark, he reports that Jesus has also come, um, come to the attention of Herod, okay? Who rules the regions of Galilee under the umbrella of Rome. And by referring to the Jewish tetriarch as King Herod, right? Mark is contrasting him with Jesus because he's not actually a king. He's a tetrarch. He's like, uh, our version of him would be like a governor, all right? That's who he is. He's not actually a king, but Mark points out and refers to him as a king. Herod wanted to be recognized as a king, but Augustus, the Roman ruler, refused to give him the title king. So Mark grants him the title king, all right? And, um, but he is as far from what a king should be like as it gets. And so Mark has already um, been communicating Jesus, or he he has communicated and declared Jesus um, as the son of God, the king of the Jews. Herod, he's an insecure ruler. So he's on alert, all right, about any threats to his rule, such as Jesus of Nazareth, who has preached about the kingdom of God. He's cast out demons, he's healed the sick, and he's, and he's sent out his disciples to do the same. So Herod is threatened because he wants to be king of the Jews, okay? So some say that Jesus, some are saying that Jesus is um, the prophet Elijah, And the preaching of miracles of both Jesus and the disciples mirror those of Elijah. So people are saying he's a prophet, uh, Elijah. Others deem him just a prophet. Herod and the others, they opt, opt for a wilder explanation. They say that he is John the baptizer risen from the dead. And Jesus' connection to John and, and, and news that Jesus raised a girl from the dead, okay, probably contribute to this kind of speculation. So that's what's happening here. So Herod's reason for believing that John, Jesus is John also have to do with his insecurity as a ruler and his guilt, all right? His guilty conscience for what he did to John. So he, ex, uh, you know, because he executed John and it was ridiculous. In verses 17 through 29, Mark brings us up to date by telling us the gruesome story of what happened and how it happened. Herod imprisoned John um, because John rebuked, or rebuked him for marrying, his, uh, marrying Herodias, his brother's wife, in violation of Mosaic law. So John rebuked him. He confronted him and he said, you're not being, uh, uh, you're, you're, you're a leader, you're a public figure, and you're living in a manner that's uh, contrary to the Mosaic law. So one of the roles of a prophet is to do that, is to kind of, uh, was to confront kings with the word of God when they strayed from it. So that's what John was doing. So John stood up to the powers of the world. 
John was saying, you have no business acting like this. You have no business living like this. You have no business being like this. If you want to be king of the Jews, this is as far from being uh, kingly as it gets, right? So John stood up to him. And by rebuking Herod, John marked himself out as a threat. So Herodias wanted John killed. You can imagine how humiliated she felt, right? So she wanted John killed, but Herod, who enjoyed listening to John who liked him, who had a respect for him, actually. He resisted because he feared divine retribution for putting a righteous man to death. So he wouldn't do it. So he put him in prison. At Herod's birthday party, though, Herodias, Herodias's daughter, okay, remember I said that? His, her daughter dances for Herod and his guests. So Mark's description um, invokes images of a stag party with a lot of alcohol. So that's what's going on. It's an all-male party. So the girl has to go out uh, to see her mother. She's been dancing and it's been risque, no doubt. So she has to go out to see her mother because her mom's not there. The word translated girl in verse 22 is the same word that was used of a 12-year-old girl, remember back Mark chapter 5, verse 22. Now, you can't for sure say that she was 12 years old, but she was really young. And at this point, you know, that makes it sound maybe a lot worse, but it doesn't really matter. She was a young girl, or it wouldn't have even used the word girl. So Herodias' daughter may have been older, but if she was, probably not very much older. So the prophet intrigued Herod, but Herodias' daughter does more than that. She brings him and the rest of the male guests pleasure. She pleases Herod so much, in fact, that he vows to give up half of his kingdom. She's just got to ask. And in verse 21, Mark describes the day of Herod's party as strategic. It's strategic. In verse 24, you find out that the day is strategic actually for Herodias, who's been seeking John's death and she's been waiting and trying to figure out how this is going to happen. So vindictively, she counsels her daughter to ask not simply for the death of John, but for the head of John. It's really insidious, actually. She's really a vindictive person, right? So the girl has no problem unbelievable about the request. I guess if she's fine with dancing like she did in front of all these guys, she's fine with just whatever. So she quickly approaches the king. She wants the king to act at once apart from reflection. She doesn't want him to sober up. That's the plan. He's probably pretty drunk. So... She asked for John's head on a platter. And it's as if she's asking for the head of John the Baptist to be served up as the main course. Why on a platter? It's the main course at the banquet. So Herod, he's sorry about the prospect of John's death. He capitulates though. And he goes through with it. Not having a backbone to stand up to the girl. Not wanting to embarrass himself in front of his guys. Right? Right? By violating his vow. So John 
pays with his life for announcing the kingdom of God and holding one of its supposed leaders to account, John pays with his life. John's disciples, they risk a similar similar fate when they come for the body of the prophet. They're risking a lot too. But they're able to take it away and place it in a tomb. John is dead, but his memory lives on in the conscience of Herod now though. He's still an insecure wannabe king. And so in the narrative, the speculation that Jesus is John risen from the dead points, points forward to John's future resurrection and vindication, by the way. Because we know, we just talked about this during the Lord's Supper. We talk about this at baptism. We talk about that we are resurrected, right, to a new life. And, and when Jesus returns, uh, we will get new bodies. We, uh, in, in our death, we will be resurrected um, to eternal life. So, this is a pretty big deal. So, <clears throat> Let's look at the prophetic role that we play now. Because we have a prophetic role. <clears throat> the rulers of our world today not only include leaders of governments, but also leaders of both corporations, academic institutions. Think about the leaders in our world. Think about what's in front of us. You know, uh, we have a, um, an election, a midterm election. Oh, we're on the cusp of all of that. And we have... Um, I think we have responsibilities just as citizens, but as Christ followers, citizens of the kingdom, to vote. If you're one of these people, and I talked to someone, um, actually uh, several people this week, but one in particular who said, well, I don't know really anything about any of the candidates, so I'm just not going to vote. And I want to say that's terrible. Find out who they are so that you can vote. Don't not vote because you don't know anything, then engage. There's plenty of great uh, um, opportunities to find out. There's, there's uh, publications all the time that'll tell you exactly what the issues are and what our candidates are all about. I think you should care about uh, where your kids go to school. I think you should care about your teachers. I think you should care about all those things. All those things are a big deal in our world. Because the, uh, that's where all the influencers are. Who has more power to affect change in the world more than senators and social media and entities and companies and, uh, you know, uh, lots of companies in the Silicon Valley and, um, my goodness, we have to care about these things. Legislators, educators have a tremendous amount of power. So, Many rulers in our world, like Herod, they abuse their positions for their own pleasures. We can talk about that all day. Some uh, feel that the gospel is a threat, I think. The gospel that proclaims Jesus is Lord, it's a threat. Because if Jesus is Lord, then... Some rulers start to worry, right, about their own power and things like that, I think. Whether they believe in Jesus or not, I think he is perceived a lot of times as um, a rival. And some, you can tell, our culture's in a wrestling match, right? Some can't quite shake justice from their mind and they're intrigued and haunted by, by it in all kinds of ways. 
who are the rulers of the world? Again, they're government officials, corporate leaders, educators, yes. But they are also, especially in view of our culture, all of us. All of us. You cannot uh, forsake that. You rule your own life, uh, so to speak, for the most part, with certain boundaries. You can, um, you can do with righteousness what you will. None of us is impervious to temptations like Herod faced. Each of us faces a choice, actually a series of choices throughout a lifetime. What are we going to do with our choices that are in front of us? Many of the rulers of the world and, yes, many followers of Jesus start out standing tall, standing strong in a godless culture but end up falling, uh, falling in uh, the way of Herod. It's important that we stay entwined, in tune, and close to Jesus and side with righteousness because the church, like John, has a prophetic role to play in the world. The church has a prophetic role. If you read the end of the story in Revelation, when the church is removed, right? What happens in the world? It just goes bad. <laughs> That's right. Nothing undermines the church, church's prophetic mission like those who talk like John the Baptist in the day but live like Herod the Tetrarch. At night. <clears throat> so, tragically, you can think of all kinds of fallen spiritual leaders. I'm not here to point all those out, but they've sacrificed the reputation of the kingdom as much as um, uh, the secular leaders in our world. But we shouldn't be surprised if we take a stand that some rulers in our world are going to see us as a threat. And I think that the church is going to come under that threat more and more when we take a stand and we live by God's word. As followers of Jesus, we are servants of the world that involves submitting to our government and blessing our employers and all that kind of stuff. But we are God's first. We are God's first. We have a prophetic role to play in the world and a world and the world that needs our help and our affirmation, our engagement and our love. The story, there's a story though that is behind the beheading of John the Baptist. And it is a story, uh, echoes of the story of Esther. Are you familiar with the story of Esther? The story of Esther features a Jewish woman who providentially became queen of Persia. Okay. It's a magnificent story. King Azurus granted Haman, the leader of the princes of Persia, the authority to kill all the Jews of the land. In summary, that's what's going on here. Those who entered the king's presence without uh, being summoned were routinely executed. But Queen Esther courageously approached the king and he granted her an audience. So, it's a pretty famous story, and it all kind of comes down to that. Her courage to stand up in the, in, uh, the face of death, faith, facing death, almost surely death, 
because routinely it just didn't happen. That if you uh, went before the, uh, the king without being summoned, you weren't going to be killed. I mean, this is a pretty rough time. But she approaches the king. He grants her an audience. And Esther asks that both king, uh, the king and Haman attend a banquet. Now, Haman's the enemy who set all this up, who um, has put in motion that all the Jews in the, in the land would be killed. All of, her, all of her family, everybody she knew. So at the banquet, King Azarus, who's foreshadowing King Herod, and his words to his stepdaughter at the banquet, ask Esther, what do you want? What's your petition? What do you, uh, ask anything and I'll give it to you. What's your request? Even up to half the kingdom, half the kingdom, I'll give it to you. You see this brilliant echoing story. Esther 5, chapter 6. And in the presence of the king, Esther, unlike the daughter of Herodias, spoke on behalf of her people and the king, execute, he ends up executing Haman. And if you haven't read this story, you gotta, you gotta read it because it's a magnificent execution if you can say that in church. You want this guy to be executed by the time you get to this part of the story. And it's a public display that's beyond anything you've ever uh, heard about. It's unbelievable. The enemy of the Jews. And he granted the Jews permission to defend themselves, which they didn't have. And the Jews proceeded to annihilate their enemies. And the Feast of Purim commemorates these events. If you're familiar with any of the Jewish holidays or feasts. So the story in Mark echoes the story of Esther, but in a foreshadowing way. In Esther, a righteous woman finds favor with a king. In Mark, an unrighteous girl finds favor with a king. In Esther, the scheming enemy of God's people is executed. In Mark, the scheming enemy of God's people wins the execution of a righteous prophet. In Esther, God's people are saved when they rise up and destroy their enemies. In Mark, the story of John's beheading doesn't give us much hope for a good ending. (laughs) The story in Mark is the Esther story in reverse. And at this point in Mark, you might be expecting not the salvation of God's people, but their destruction when you're reading this. So Mark is preparing us for the worst. And in doing this, he hooks us. And you wonder, what's going to happen to the hero of the story in his quest? So you read on to the foreshadowing or foreshadows of Jesus. So in the next narrative sequence, this is why you have to read the whole story. Jesus an entirely different kind of king than Herod throws a banquet in his own, of his own. He feeds 5,000 uh, men in the wilderness. We're going to get to that. Herod at his banquet gave the head of John to his stepdaughter. But Jesus at his banquet miraculously keeps giving bread and fish and life to those who gather around him. Likewise, in the upper room in, Jer- in Jerusalem, Jesus gave his disciples the bread and the wine that symbolizes body and blood. 
It just goes on and on. Herod told his stepdaughter, ask for uh, me for whatever you want and I'll give it to you. Jesus, when approached by two of his disciples, when they were traveling to Jerusalem, he said, what do you want me to do for you? And the disciples wanted to reign with Jesus in glory. And Jesus said that they could expect to suffer. Herod threw a party literally for his great men and the first men of Galilee. But Jesus responding to his two disciples said, you know that those who uh, recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great men exercise authority over them. But it's not that way among you guys, he says. Whoever wishes to be great among you will uh, will be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you will be a slave of all. Because why? Because the Son of Man didn't come to uh, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The echoes are unbelievable. Mark is contrasting Herod with Jesus. He's showing us what a real king looks like, what a real king king serves others, not himself. Mark's depiction of Herod foreshadows the the depiction of of Jewish leaders. The leaders were afraid of Jesus just as Herod was afraid of John. A strategic day came for the leaders to do away with Jesus, just as it came for um, Herodias to do away with John. Herod asked a girl what she wanted and, and gave in to her because he didn't want to disappoint his guests. But Jesus prayed in Gethsemane for the Father's will to be done. The true king of the Jews submits to the will of God, while the false king of the Jews submits to the will of the dancing girl. So like John, Jesus was seized and bound. It just goes on and on. Just as Herod asked the girl what she wanted, Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea, asked the crowd, you want me to release for you uh, uh, the king of the Jews? Herodias stirred up her daughter to ask for the head of John, the chief priest stirred up the crowd to ask Pilate to release Barabbas instead of Jesus. <laughs> Herod was perplexed by John. Pilate was amazed by Jesus. He was amazed. Herod was concerned that John, his prisoner, was a righteous man. Pilate was concerned that Jesus, the prisoner before him, had done no evil. Herod capitulated to Herodias and her daughter. Pilate capitulated to the high priests in the crowd. Herod reluctantly ordered the execution of John. Pilate reluctantly ordered the execution of Jesus. Herod's executioner beheaded John in prison. Pilate's soldiers crucified Jesus at Golgotha. It's a magnificent story, isn't it? Just as John's disciples courageously came and took away the body of John and laid it in the tomb, Joseph of Arimathea courageously came and asked Pilate for the body of Jesus and laid him in a tomb.
The story of John the Baptist raised the possibilities of a resurrection. Herod and others believed that John had been raised from the dead. The story of Jesus actualized the resurrection when the women came to the tomb of Jesus. It was empty. The story in the death of John the Baptist moves us forward towards the wilderness along the road to Jerusalem and up to the upper room, Gethsemane, Pilate, Pilate's palace, Golgotha, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, out beyond into a new world. It points forward to a better salvation than the one of, that Esther manufactured, which was awesome. Queen Esther saved God's people by enabling them to slaughter their enemies. Jesus saves God's people by arming them, not as many wanted, but by letting the rulers of this world to do their worst to him. He didn't slaughter his enemies, they slaughtered him. But God vindicated him by raising him from the dead and enthroning him, right? So that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God saves everybody who submits to the Son of God, not just temporarily, but eternally from Satan. The Feast of Purim then is an assimilation into the Feast of Passover which becomes the Lord's Supper. And I just have a quick summary right here to put up. After that one, sorry. Here we go. Mark echoes the book of Esther. Links John's story to the story of Jesus. And contrasts the king of the Jews with a pitiful pretender Herod. He leads us to the way of the Lord that couldn't have imagined in our wildest dreams. Christ crucified and Christ resurrected the salvation of the world. Let's just talk about the way of the Lord really quickly. It's, a, it's an unbelievable story that Mark writes. It's rich and it's thick and you gotta read your Bible to get your arms around it. Utilizing echoes and foreshadows and indirection and reversals and contrasts. Not, not to just lose us in a good score, uh, story, but to weave a good story, a true story into us. And so the question for us is whether we wanna join the story. That's the first question. You want to join the story? You want to be a part of the story? Would you utilize your story? Just some of you just need to utilize your story. Do we have a role to play in the public square? I think we do. I think we need to be people that stand in a godless culture, stand for things, believe in things bring our influence into this world in not a, not the way of the sword, right? But the way of love, just caring and loving for people. Speaking up when we should. Not just talking about it on social media, but living in a way that influences our culture. I'll leave you to decide. But I think as members of the church of Jesus, we need to rise to the challenge of our time and assume our job of living like Esther and like John and living like Jesus. And as we do, we got to walk in the way of the Lord, worshiping, gathering, giving, and serving and submitting to the Father's will so that our prophetic voice may resonate with the hope, 
with hope and may resonate with the pain that's going on in our world. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Lord, for these moments today and an awesome story that brings power and inspiration and challenge to an adventure uh, that we're to live, a journey that we're supposed to be engaged in. Help us not to be apathetic and to just uh, um, be just behind the scenes people, but to live in a way, God, that, um, that sometimes it might be controversial, it might be um, dangerous, um, we might create conflict and a few enemies. Help us to live, though, like Esther, John, in Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.